you're like a father that I never had. Never had. And, and you're like a son I lost to schizophrenia, yeah. Welcome, my beautiful dad, Neville Christie. I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm delighted to be here. My lovely son, Berlin, yes, who's stressed out of his mind at the moment. <laughs> Many years ago, I went to York Butter Factory. Yep. I was part of a startup. I don't know if I told you this, but I thought, oh, he, he looks a little bit like Colonel Sanders. Yes, I've been told that. <laughs> I've been told that. Um, I've also been told I look like the old Bob Hawke when he was Prime Minister. So oh, I used right. to tell everybody I was his, actually his illegitimate sons. <laughs> <laughs> Over so many years, you don't really remember the words, but you just remember how you felt, yep. right? And I, and I felt that oh, this man is a, is a real leader. He was so connected and grounded and strong in your presence. I was quite nervous, but I felt that I wanted to say hi to you. And... Um, I'd already selected you and I was going to say hi to you if you didn't say hi to me. So. I had no idea. Yeah. And fortunately, we connected and I asked if we could go for coffee. The rest led to almost a, a decade onwards mm. and from it, it became a mentoring relationship to actually something like completely just serendipitous growing up um, I didn't really have a father figure yep. and you inspired me throughout the years and like a that's mutual of course like a father that I never um, never had and, and you're like a son I lost to schizophrenia yeah I'll pause here and see if, if you wanted to share anything about that before I uh, go further Ah, well, it was a very interesting evening because, as I said, I saw you amongst the crowd and I could see the enthusiasm, the way you engaged and were listening and taking on board what I was talking about, whatever it was. And there was a strange connection that, um, you know, went across the room and has developed over the years. So, and it's like a father-son, son-father. It's mutual, works both ways. We first met after the entrepreneurial event. You were so vulnerable with me about uh, the son you lost. About Anthony? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I, I talked about how growing up my mother had schizophrenia yeah. and she still does and I care for her. We instantly connected when you shared with me about your your son. And yeah. could would you mind sharing with people about your experience. Yes, Anthony, uh, my, my, both my children were adopted. Uh, Anthony, we adopted at age 40 and in the interviews, they kept asking us if it proved too difficult, would he return? Would we return him? And they kept at it and at it and at it and in the end I said, oh yes, of course we would, but I knew damn well, you know, I would never return. If you have a biological child and something goes wrong, you can't return them, so why would you be able to return and adopt a child? But it did turn out that age of six, he started to show unusual signs. By the age of 12, um, I thought he had no uh, conscience uh, because everything was, they made me do it, they made me do it. So I uh, took him to a child psychologist, was actually a child psychotherapist, uh, a trained doctor and therapist. And he called us up after a couple of sessions and said, look, it's not about his conscience, he's 
actually got the beginnings of paranoid schizophrenia and those they he talks about are voices in his head and um, you know demons and whatever so at 17 he had uh, an absolute full-blown psycho- psychotic episode was in Lorundal for 17 weeks um, what is Lorundal? Uh, Lorundal at the time was a psychiatric hospital I think it's been closed down now okay his journey was amazing because he's very strong um, and and he would look at somebody and their face would dissolve into a terror, a demon mask. He'd hear voices saying, that man's out to kill you, he's out to kill you. But in all the time, he never turned that out on anybody else, never. He never harmed another human being. He internalised it on himself and he developed into a very, very, very beautiful man. Uh, when he was ready to go, he took his own life, which was very traumatic. Um, but in many ways, it was the best thing for him. But he died. He, he died a human being who had had completed the journey that he needed to complete to become the human being that he needed to be. And and this, I believe, as I've said to you, is the journey of all of us to uh, to become fully human. If you don't mind me. Going to the very start yeah. with Anthony, before you, he was in your life, there were already signs. Well, um, I think the signs were uh, that the Catholic Family Welfare Bureau, where we adopted Anthony, yeah. had interviewed the biological father and the biological mother. And the biological mother, who was only 15, had spent most of the time in uh, the family, the Catholic home. Uh, while she was pregnant. So they got to know her pretty well. And there were signs of mental instability in both her and and the biological father, uh, who was a person of mixed race and inheritance, which is part of what made Anthony a beautiful-looking uh, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he had a lot of, a lot of cultural and mental hang-ups of various sorts. So they were predicting that Anthony might have uh inherited uh, mental issues they would be the the these were the adoption agency right. and and I've often said if you had to go through as much interviews and discussion and personal uh exploration uh to have a biological child as you do to have an adopted child you'd sort of the birth rate would drop pretty dramatically uh mm-hmm. so it's a pretty thorough investigation that you have do you think that how the parents are have a very significant influence on the child. Yes, as I get older, early in my days, I used to believe that we were totally free will and totally, you know, we could be any anything we wanted to be. When we were born, we were a tabula rasa, you know, totally empty slate. Uh, as I've got older and, you know, I'm now 81 and I've been through a number of journeys, I've come to believe quite strongly that when we were born, we have a huge inheritance from the biology of not just our immediate parents but from our total ancestry you know going right back to the original couples in Africa Um, and they're all there and they're expressed in archetypes and you know archetypes are sort of like sub-personalities if you like. We're born I think with a huge latent potential experiences that are come from our family and right back our genetic inheritance. Uh, Freud I think really said that fundamentally for the first 40 years of our life, we're, we're basically working the inheritance of our genes and the 
inheritance from our actually family of origin, you know, the, the actual environment of our family of origin, so that up to 40 we're working on that and then after 40 we start to become our own human being. And that's what Jung was all about. So that was the divide between the two of them. And I, I've come to believe that. I, you know, I can see that so much of our life, if you go back to the family of origin and you go back to the inheritance, you can see traits, uh, you know, that carry through. Now, yes, we can modify them. Yes, we can grow them. But equally, they, they represent a massive reservoir of talent and ability and resources that that it's our job to develop over our lifetime. And as I was saying to you, I think our, our role in life is, is that we're, we're born unfinished, but with huge potential. Our role in life is to become finished, you know, to finish us off. And when we've done that, we're ready to pass on wherever we go to. And this relates to what you were saying before, how Anthony... At Anthony the, at had become the person become he the person needed to be. Needed yeah. to be. Yes, and that there was no real point in continuing to live with the extreme pain that he had because he'd learned to conquer that. He'd learned to transform it. He'd learned not to turn it on to anybody else. Your son, Anthony, who you loved so dearly, and to lose him is just so devastating. And for... You, you, you speak, never you recover sp- because it's unnatural, if you like. You know, mm. the natural order of things is that you go first and, you know, your children go later. Uh, and if your children predecease you for whatever reason, it's like the natural order is upset. Mm. And uh, and that that has rippling on effects, of course. Yeah, There isn't a day go by where I don't miss him. Forgive me for saying this. I feel it's kind of rare, unnatural for someone who's been through so much as you that you speak about this with so much peace. I wouldn't say it's peace in the normal sense of peace. I'd say it's transcendence. Like I've learnt by living with that experience day in, day out, not to let it conquer me. Uh, I, I, I remember the incident of, of learning about Anthony's death was quite traumatic, that I'd woken up in the morning, age 50, and I suddenly collapsed on the floor and my wife called the ambulance and I was taken to Epworth Hospital and diagnosed at my late age of having appendicitis. So I'm in a room of four with a number of people with a morphine drip in waiting to uh, go into the, hosp- into the surgery to be operated on. And uh, a nurse came in and said, there's some people out here to see you. So I walked out with the drip and I saw my wife and uh, stepdaughter looking strained and I thought I knew immediately it was Anthony. And then I saw the policeman and we went into a private room and I said to him, Anthony? And he said, yes. And I said, dead? And he said, yes. And I said, suicide? And he said, yes. And I said, fuck, and just started crying. That was like hitting rock bottom but I didn't evaporate as a human being I didn't go into the quicksand I didn't fall apart and to reach that sense of stability in yourself you know that as a person I can stand on a rock and I can rebuild from there is an extraordinarily important um, reason you know because like we all face life is difficult and we all face traumatic events it's really how we let those events shape us um that makes us you know get better or get worse um so 
the pain remains, you know, I still care for him, I still wish he were with me. But it's about transcending it, you know, getting on top of it, if you like, not letting you become bitter or twisted or angry. That's different, I think, from peace. As a caregiver, I learnt a lot from you in how you embraced Anthony's talents, the delusions that come with schizophrenia. Yeah. You allowed him to express it yeah. then deny it. I've struggled this my, with my, for my whole life in trying to care for my mother. Yeah. Where as a child, I, I believed what my mum said, where the voices were saying... We are destined for um, for greatness or large sums of money were coming or we're going to build churches or people were going to kill us. I believe all of that. Yeah. And then as I grew up, I questioned her. <laughs> and Just as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you but might then, about 92 churches by now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really hard to like not say to mom, these voices are not real. No. Don't listen to them. Yeah. I, I, I never you, said that to Anthony. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I said those voices are real for you, but you have a choice. You can listen to the voices, you can turn them down like a radio you know, knob, or you can turn them up. And he said, oh, yes, Dad, well, sometimes I like them. I said, fine, you know, keeps you company. Uh, turn them up. So rather than deny them, because for him they're real, they are real. Uh, so what we said is, you know, learn how to turn them down, turn them up and play with them. There was a one really monumental event that was changing, and that is one day he and I were sitting together uh, drinking coffee at, on the table, and he said, Dad, can you see all the faces on the table? And I said, no, I can't, but can you? And he said, yes. So I said, if I got you some tracing paper, could you draw them? And he said, yes. So I raced down to the shop and bought some tracing paper and pencils and brought them down, and he just sat there at the table and he traced the faces that he could see. And they're quite amazing to me because they were faces, like they were blobs of, I don't know, blobs from his mind, but they had eyes and they looked like people and they looked pretty sinister. And uh, I'm getting a bit teary just at the thought of it. But it gave me a a really insight that this was real. He he saw this. It wasn't a figment of his imagination, if you like, uh, in that sense. So over time... um, I'd get him coloured pencils and paper and he'd start doing more of the drawings and the drawings to start with were all ugly and evil and really bad stuff. Mm. But we talk about it and say, well, you know, would you rather this person, you know, would you like to turn up the bad side of this person or would you like to turn up the good side of this person? And he said, I'd, I'd like like it to be a rainbow, Dad. So, so well, let's draw some rainbows. So, and And then... What do you think about his heart? Is it black? Well, it's been black, Dad, but it would be nice if it was a loving heart. So we draw the two hearts. We draw the black heart on one side and we draw a loving heart. And he did all this. I didn't. And he'd radiate. And over the period, the drawings changed and transformed. So at the time of his death, his drawings were all about people with rainbows and love and bonding. And he was doing that at the the care centre, he was reaching out to people and helping them, you know, uh, heal and helping them come to terms with the reality of this this bloody awful sickness, but not by denying it, by saying it is real for you. You must have been so proud of him. I was, I am. How did this enrich 
your life as you got <laughs> to understand his world more? Well, I think a really good friend said it quite well in a way that uh, when Anthony died, she said, you know, you and Margaret, my wife, um, you've shown Anthony positive, unremitting love. Like it's easy to love people who are wonderful and, you know, terrific like you, but, <laughs> but it's not so easy to love people who are tormented and terrified and but Margaret and I did learn to love him like that and did learn to accept him as he was, knowing that, you know, change was not going to be easy. And we didn't – we never said to him, you have to change. We said to him, you have to – you can turn – you can choose. You can turn the volume up. You can turn it down. You can live with it. And he, he learned to do that. And that for me is what life's about, you know, like care, love that that doesn't seek to change somebody. It seeks to – be with them as they are. And and there is, in psychology, there's a thing called the paradoxical theory of change. And that paradoxical theory of change says the more we seek to change, the less we do. The more we accept ourselves as we are, the more we change. And, and I found that to be absolutely, absolutely true. Dad, we unfortunately are a bit short on time. Right. And we'll just, uh, I just wanted to say that when you said the care and love that we have that where we, where we don't seek to change them yes that's so powerful yes um, that, that I need to remind myself when I positive regard but I, f- I, I honestly believe a lot of marriages break down because people start want to change them yes and then once they've changed them they don't like what they changed <laughs> them and they said you're not the person I married no no oh. you're not because I'm a great believer in change and transformation. In fact, that's what I'm all on about now, seeking to transform the world, given that it's falling to bits. But the acceptance of a person as they are, that they're okay, they're beautiful, they are as they are, I think is one of the most important gifts that we can give anybody and that they can give us. You know, to be seen, for someone to say, you've got all these shitty habits and faults, but I love you and I accept you as you are. That's pretty pretty profound, isn't it? I feel you accept me as I am, as much as I want to change myself. I yeah. do. Yeah. And you accept me. Come on. You think I'm okay? I think you're great. Yeah, well, isn't that powerful? I know I've got a long way to go. You know you've got a long way to go. But we both think we're pretty good. I hope we can continue this another time. Of and, course we can. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Dad, for your time. And thank you, my son.